practicing with us. That stands for focus intentionally, focus intentionally on God and home and truth. So we begin Wednesday night talking about some of those things. We're going to continue to talk about them this coming Wednesday and then two Wednesday nights in July. And some of you signed up for all of those times. And because of that, I've had these subjects on my mind and I'm going to preach uh, from a very sensitive subject this morning. The title of the sermon is Relationships. You can see it on there, God help us all. And I, I mean that, relationships, God help us all, because the whole Bible, so much of the Bible is about relationship. And it's also about woundedness in relationships. All of us, and I'll just say every one of us, have been hurt, wounded some way in some kind of relationship with another person. Marriage relationship is another one that is very sensitive. I, I'm going to speak about divorce and all today, and I, uh, I feel inadequate sometimes to preach on these subjects. And in fact, I, I even early in the week, I said, God, could I, could I preach on something else? Uh, but I felt led to stay with the plan, and so I'm going to share some things today that God said in his word. And so if it's in his word, we should look at it. We should be open and honest about it, so that's what we're going to do. Lana and I are very fortunate and blessed. She and I will celebrate 38 years of marriage. We've known each other since the third grade. I was in the fourth grade, actually. She was in the third grade. But, uh, but I remember the third and fourth grade went out on recess, and I'd say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Lana right over. So uh, she and I both know that we're very fortunate and very blessed. Uh, we like each other. Now, she doesn't like me all the time. There's some days she doesn't. But overall, we... We're very fortunate and very blessed, and so um, I'm grateful and thankful. But I realize that all of us, at some point or another, have faced struggles in relationships. So The Bible is all about relationships, and in fact, I decided to start off by just reminding you of the Ten Commandments, that every one of them are about relationships. And we know we're in a world and a society that says, well, we don't need those anymore. Yes, we do. But listen to how closely they are tied to relationships. The first four are about you and your relationship with the living God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols or images. I realize we don't literally make idols and stuff, but we do. Every culture makes idols out of everything and worships other things than gods. But God's saying in the relationship that I have with you, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I'm in a relationship with you that you honor me and respect me, God says. Then he says in the fourth one, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why in the world would he say that? Because he wants you to come and be with him. Because he wants relationship with you. He wants you to worship him. So the first four are about you and your relationship with the living God, the one creator. The next six are about relationships with other people. And he starts off with family. Honor your father and your mother. Living or, or dead, you're still to have that honor. Respect within relationship of home. The next one, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Boy, that's hurt a lot of a lot of relationships, but that's one of the Ten Commandments. It's about relationships with other people. Do not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Well, who are you going to steal from? Other folks. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie. 
or bear false witness. All that's about relationship. The last one is you shall not covet. Covet what? Covet other people's stuff. That's relationship. So the first four are about your relationship with Jesus Christ, with the living God. The other six are how we handle relationships with others. So the Ten Commandments are just as solid as they've ever been. They're never going to go away, whether or not we put them and hang them up somewhere or not. In God's eyes, they're never going to change. They're never going to go away. They're going to stay. They're going to remain. I opened up the sermon notes. Some of you get the devotion. And I, I very intentionally ended with a prayer. A lot of us do when we write the devotions that some of you get. But here was the prayer. And you don't have to close your eyes. I, I just want you to hear it before I begin the sermon. Dear God, dear God, please pour out your grace upon all of our relationships. And I think all of us could relate to that. God, please pour out your grace upon our relationships. Especially touch our marriages with commitment, with strength, with courage. Heal the wounds. Heal the wounds who those who have been impacted by divorce. And that includes a lot of you in here. And you know more about the wounds than I do. Although I've got family members and Kim folks that have been through divorce and, and I've I've sat in my office and heard many weep over the woundedness. So the reality is it's the truth, and so we need to just say it and talk about it. I've already said that preaching on this subject is tough. It's tough because these are areas in our lives that are very personal. This is personal, and it's very sensitive. And I know that, and God knows that, but he still talks about it in his word. And he wants us to be honest and open about it. Um, and again, I, I'd rather never preach on the subject. But the union of marriage is a part of God's creation. And God himself officiated the first wedding. So we need to go back and look and see what he said. So I'll start with Genesis, the second chapter, verse 21 and 25. And as I'm reading this, we're going to read in Matthew in just a moment. So notice that Jesus is going to do a throwback. And he's going to end up talking about these words in Genesis. So Genesis 2, 21 and 25. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. It's the first anesthesia recording in the Bible. We don't know how he did it, but uh, Gary Dial, our anesthesiologist, he was in the early service. I talked with him afterwards. But it says that he went into a deep sleep. God did. He slept. And then God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined into his wife. Keep in mind, this is before the fall, which happened in chapter 3. Keep in mind that Adam and Eve didn't have a mom and daddy. It's interesting. I wonder if they said, what are you, what's, a, what's a mom and a daddy? Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. They were not, not ashamed. There's no shame. All this was in the Garden of Eden where God blessed the oneness. Before the fall, all that was his idea. 
man and a woman, two separate beings of whom he created to be one. Powerful connection that he ordained. Keep that scripture in mind, and I'm going to read another one in Genesis in just a moment. I did a wedding yesterday. It was outside. You never know what you're going to get when you do outside weddings, especially because you don't know what the weather is going to be. It was so bad Friday when we practiced the rehearsal that we had to be inside because of the storms. But we had the wedding outside. The unity candle that we lit never got lit because I could see the South Side Bridge. That's how close we were to the Coosa River, and, and the wind was blowing, and so they were over there trying their best to light that candle lit and never got lit. By the way, there's nowhere in the Bible that says, Thou shalt have a unity candle. Almost everything we do in weddings is all made up. And I've really thought about it. I did, I've done three or four weddings lately. I've got one in August. I've got one in two in September, one in October. And I've looked at it and I thought, not all of this we just kind of make up, you know. A lot of it we do. But there's one thing that we do go back to, and it's Genesis, oftentimes in a Christian wedding. And I did it yesterday with a couple when they made a vow. Until death, let's do part. King James Version of that scripture says, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. I don't always use that in the same version, but a couple wants me to go back. It uses the word asunder. I'll just be honest with you. I don't know if I, if I, somebody asked me before this sermon, what does asunder mean? I don't know if I could have been able to tell them, but here it is. It's used in weddings, and it means to do not break apart. Do not... Separate into two, two pieces. Don't separate that. To become parted, and another word that we use in English, let not man put asunder. Don't let it be severed. And I thought about that, that when something is severed, it's painful. And I'll say that those of you who've been through divorce, you understand that a lot better than I do, because I've not experienced that. We've got several in our church, and in fact, I talked to a couple of people this week, and I asked them because I'm close enough to them to just tell, tell me about that. Because something that here that God has ordained, something that he's established, when it's severed, it's painful. There's no way around it. So with one of my friends here at church, we talked about it, and I said, you, you know in Malachi where it says God hates divorce, I said, what do you, what, how, how does that make you feel? You've been through a divorce, and... We talked about it, and I won't share all of that, but just that I said, you know, I think that somebody who's been through divorce understands that better than somebody who hasn't. And God says, I hate divorce. Because he never said, I hate the divorcee. He just said, I hate divorce for the same reason somebody who's been through divorce hates it. It's because of what it does to relationships. It wounds, it, it hurts, it severs them. Some of you, you know, and you're probably thinking, and you don't know. God does. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Let me give you an illustration in John, the fourth chapter. This doesn't fully explain it, but still we see Jesus with a woman at the well. You can go read the whole story. John, the fourth chapter. Jesus is a Jew, a Samaritan woman. They're having conversation. She's kind of freaked out about it. Why are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan woman? And so they have this conversation and Jesus said, get me some water. And Jesus begins to talk about water that you can drink, that you'll never thirst again. And she said, well, give me a ladle. Give me a dipper that I can have some of this water that I'll never thirst again. Jesus said, go get your husband. 
I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't. You've had five. And the one you're living with right now is not your husband. Whoa. I perceive that you're a prophet, she said. And you know, in my mind, my, my imagination would be, I wonder if she's thinking, how did he know that? How did this Jewish guy know? Surely he talked to somebody and got this information. But then she says, I perceive you're a prophet. Then she does what we quickly do when Jesus confronts us in something in our life. She changed the subject. Well, uh, we Samaritans, we worship on this mountain. You Jews, you worship on this mountain. And so Jesus goes down that road and he talks about worship. The true worshipers shall worship me in spirit and in truth. And she says, and she's still, I think, probably wrestling with, how did he know all this? How did he know that I'm a five-time divorcee? So she says, well, when Messiah comes, when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus looked at him and said, Woman, I'm here. You're looking, you're looking at him. What a moment. Jesus wanted her to be transformed by living water. Did he care about the wounds? Yes. He knew about it. He knows about all of our sins and all of our woundedness in our lives. And yet he still comes to us and says, I want you to drink from a well that you'll never get thirsty again. We offered it to this woman. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. Jesus does not condone her life choices. And she's made some bad ones apparently and some others with her in relationships. So have we. He doesn't condone though her life choices but he confronts them and it is the same thing that he does with us. When we are convicted of things, we should be. Thank God we are. Oh, when you're convicted, you ought to thank God you are. And so should I. Because then we can repent. We can say, God, forgive me and help me. Chris Self, a youth pastor, Chris's 3D devotion on, on Thursday was out of Romans, the sixth chapter about God's grace because some were saying, well, if God's always going to give us grace... And I guess we could just sin more and that will make grace even better. Paul said, God forbid. No, we don't, we don't sin more to make grace better. No, don't sin. The Ten Commandments are still for real. Have we broken them? Yes. Jesus said, if you sin in one part, you sin in them all. That includes us all. But the standard's still the same. What Jesus does in Matthew the 19th chapter, so now I'm getting to the verse I'm going to preach on. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 10. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Rabbi, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Jesus goes back to the beginning. He's quoting from Genesis. Beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason the man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Let not man put asunder. Let not man sever. They said to him, 
then why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce just to put her away? And Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. From the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, because they kind of wrestled with it, and they said, well, if such is the case of the man then with his wife, then it would just be better not to marry at all. They're reasoning and trying to get logically through this just like we do. Of course, Jesus goes on to explain that singleness is good and celibacy. If you give yourself to Christ fully, then do that. But Jesus does a throwback as often as he does. He quotes from Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24. He defines God's ideal for marriage. A man and a woman bonded socially, physically, and psychologically are in one flesh union. The two have become one. So Jesus adopts his usual stance on all issues. He heads for the higher moral ground. Why does he do that? Because Jesus wants what is best for us. And when it comes to marriage, we must aim at God's ideal intentions for our one flesh union. When we find our marriage under stress, we should work at reconciliation. When a marriage is severed, we are aware that they are. God, by His grace, is still willing to redeem and heal the wounds. But He still is always going to point us back to the higher moral standard. Just like in Moses' day. Because again, in our society, we made divorce way too easy. So what's God going to do? He's going to go back to the higher moral ground. He would tell us the same thing. Let me share with you a couple of stories. One of the most simple weddings that I ever did. And by the way, weddings can get very complicated. you got the in-laws and the outlaws and a lot of money and, man, Lord help me. The simplest wedding I ever did were a couple at Crossville. I started to not say their names, and I was going to call them Jack and Jill, but anyway, I'm just going to call them by their name. PR. We called him PR. That stood for Prentice Road in Myrna. Prentice had gotten a divorce. At that time, I think it had been about 12 years and, Myrna's husband had died of cancer. It had been about six years. and They both started sparking on one another. And if you're younger, that means they kind of went out together. They, they were going steady or they were going out to eat with people and whatever and going out and taking a date and whatever. They started sparking on one another. And everybody in the church, we sort of knew, well, don't they look cute together? And uh, he called me one day. Hey, preacher, me and Myrna are going to get married. Have you ever done a wedding at sunrise and I said well no I hadn't he said well w would you and I said sure and so he said well we want to get married at Little River Canyon and he said we're going to come pick you and Lana up we're not going to invite our adult children they know we're getting married but none of them will come I hadn't told anybody at church and I don't want you to tell anybody so this was a Saturday morning they came and picked Lana and I up it was about 10 minutes till 6 and we drove to Little River Canyon and we had a wedding there on the bluff at about 10 till the sun was just coming up and we're looking off Little River Canyon. And I told them, don't drop your rings because if they go down there, we ain't ever getting them back. And then it was very simple. You know where we went for the reception? We went to Cracker Barrel in Fort Payne. It was so easy, so simple. And then we're driving down the interstate and Lana and I are in the back seat and Lana asked, Chris, 
Where are you going to take your new bride? He said, they've remodeled that Ramada Inn in a tower. That's not where they went. It was a little fancier than that. They're still married, and I was blessed to be a part of that. Here's another wedding that happened a few weeks ago. Have you ever made a horrible mistake? Yep, so have I. And a lot of times it's around relationships and stuff. It can just, bam, hit you. Have you ever made a horrible mistake during a wedding? Perhaps most of you have not because you don't officiate weddings, but I do. Recently, I really messed up bad right in the middle of the wedding ceremony, and I hope and pray that this will never happen again, but it happened just a few weeks ago. It was me standing right there and the groom right there and the wedding party and the music was already started and the ladies were off to this side and the men over here and, and I'm standing there and I look back, right back there. I'm getting nauseated just thinking about it. And there he came. A little four-year-old boy called the ring bearer, whom you never give them the rings. You want to give them to somebody that's responsible, like the pastor. And I realize in that moment, as I see the ring bearer coming down, I don't have the rings. They're in my office. You see my problem. But I've got to keep a straight face. And I think I did, but on the inside, somersault. I mean, churning. And I'm thinking, what, what am I supposed to do? Do I just stop everything before she comes in? But she's fixing to come in the grand moment. I, I can't stop this train. It's coming down the track. So I decided, as I'm going through the wedding ceremony, to just wait till the ring part and to just simply apologize. The couple was in the service this morning, so they forgave me. But all I could do was right in the middle of the service to say, I have forgotten the rings. I'm so sorry. I pray that you will forgive me. We're going to go ahead and go through the ring ceremony ritual. And then when we get to the reception, I will officially give you your ring. This is what we say. The wedding ring is an outward sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Signifying to all the uniting of this man and this woman in holy matrimony through the church of Jesus Christ as Lord. All that's man-made too. Now, Benny don't want me to tell you this because he sells rings for a living. But there's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt buy an expensive ring. Sorry, Benny. I'm just sorry. But we do it because it's tradition here. All cultures have different traditions and everything. I don't even have my original wedding band, nor does Lana. Hers is missing. Mine, I thought I had lost it fishing in the Tennessee River in Gunnersville. Come to find out, I went ahead and bought a $99 one. That's all I paid for it. But when we came here and Lana's was missing, we came to Mountain Jewelers, and Lana's got a nice one. Lana's got a good one. It costs a lot more than $99. I said all that to say this. As important as the ring may be, I'm not even sure where mine is and Lana's is missing. And thank God that Cody and Amberly did forgive me for that. But I told them this morning, and I tell you, your marriage has nothing to do with outward rings. It has to do with commitment and love that only God can forge together inside the human heart. And as believers, as believers, it is a love and a commitment that is established by the Spirit of God because it goes all the way back to in the beginning because God wants His best for you. Even though we may admit and have to confess that, man, we've had some tough spots in some relationships. 
And thank God for God's grace. But still, God wants what's best. So I end with the title of the sermon again. Relationships. 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 God, help us all. And he will. Let's pray together. God, I feel so inadequate sometimes as a preacher and a pastor, and this is one of them. Holy Spirit, I pray that everything that I, I said that I shouldn't have said, that you'll take away from the heart. Everything that I should have said, you'll, you'll touch our hearts, that we'll receive truth. God, I, I know that all of us have been wounded in relationships in some way or another, and I pray, God, for your mercy and your grace. Draw us always to repentant hearts and help us to see, God, that always you want what's best for us. We love you and we praise you. Be with us all, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen.